0: Welcome back, everyone, to Your Life, God's Word, where we take the principles found in Scripture and we apply them to our everyday lives, those areas that are most important, faith, family, and community. All right, hey, welcome back, everybody. We are here with yet another episode and uh, can't wait to dive into some of the stuff we've got for this time around. Um, I think it's some some interesting insights out of First Samuel 17. We we uh, started this on the last podcast, and I apologize again. There was uh, there was no podcast uh, a week ago. Just again, things things come up. I pretty much do this uh, you know on the side on my own. And when things come up in uh, in the schedule there are times where I just don't have I just don't have time to be able to to get to it so sorry for that but we are um, back here back now <laughs> and we uh, you know we'll, we'll continue on hopefully nobody's uh, you know in a major hurry of you know to get through this but uh, I do think there are some very interesting insights coming out of this historical account in the Book of 1 Samuel, and as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I, I preached a message on this. But uh, you know, Sunday morning, you, you know, 45 minutes, maybe an hour, or something like that. Uh, you just don't hit everything as in depth as you'd like to sometimes, and so uh, that's why I'm breaking this down and diving a lot more deeply into the material. Uh, on this podcast right now, so we we ended the the, the last one in the book of First Samuel chapter 17, and we kind of got through roughly verse 11, where we see the opening, and you've got Goliath versus the people of Israel and the challenge that's laid out, and we we, we talked through that. So you can go back and catch that. Um, from from last time, now I'm going to pick up in verse 12, and most of the reading is going to be in the ESV, though some of it may be in other other um, uh, versions. So, verse 12, First Samuel 17 says, "Now David was the son of an Ephraimite." No, it doesn't. <laughs> That's what I get for reading the first phrase and then looking at the camera and not actually reading the full thing. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah, named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle, and the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, the next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Very key right there. Uh, He's taking care of the sheep, right? For forty days the Philistine came forward and and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment, As the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry, and Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. So we'll stop right there at verse twenty-three, and um, I, this is this is very interesting to me. You have you have David, who from from the get-go, from day one, he he's always just kind of had this heart to to minister, to serve, to be a help, um, and you see his progression. Coming from literally, you know, he, he's on the backside of the wilderness here, caring for some sheep, and then all of a sudden he's thrust into, oh, you're going to be the king. Now, I'm going to go backward in time a little bit and look at uh, some portions of 1 Samuel to see see some of this, but, but just follow along here. 1 Samuel thirteen fourteen. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after His own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over His people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Now, this is where Saul—he just started letting everything go to his head. He became uh, a man that now is going to do what he wants to do. He—he's anointed of God. He, I mean, he's got the anointing. The anointing rests upon him, right? All these things we want to talk about. And he's in charge. He is the crowned king, uh, commissioned by God. The prophet, you know, anointed him and all these things. And went to his head. And he thinks, I don't really have to obey God now. And I'm going to do things my way. And, you know, God says, uh, do, do things a certain way. Uh, one example, right? Is, I want you to kill all the Amalekites, and Saul's like, I mean, he heard he heard that, and he was like, well, I mean, that's a, you know, that that's a good that's a good thing, uh, but but better is going to be if I, uh, keep the king alive and keep the best of the flocks, uh, quote unquote, for sacrificing to the Lord, right, and uh, God was like, nah, mm-mm, nope. That's, that's not how it's going to work. Now, in this situation, for Samuel 13, uh, Saul just got impatient for the battle, and he, he stepped over into uh, the role of Samuel and decided, well, just, I mean, I've seen Samuel do this before. I can just, you know, the, the people are getting antsy, and Samuel's delayed, and I'm just going to go ahead and, and do this thing. And, I mean, Samuel literally says, look, God would have, provided for you and, and made your lineage like this great promise where it's going to be, uh, you know, a, a lasting dynasty. But no, that's not going to happen now. You're going to be cut off. And God's going to find somebody that is a man after his own heart. Uh, when you get to First Samuel 15, that's, that's with the whole thing with the Amalekites and uh, Saul just flagrantly disobeys God. And Samuel comes to him. This is 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination or witchcraft, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. So God takes it seriously when we are disobedient, when we are stubborn and we're not going to listen to God. And, and yeah, we can equivocate. We can make up good sounding reasons why we can't, why we shouldn't, why this is a, a special circumstance. And I need to actually kind of disobey God here, but it's, it's for the right reason. God doesn't care about any of that. And that's what Saul did. Right. Notice Saul says, well, I kept the best stuff, quote unquote, for sacrificing to the Lord. And, oh, that's supposed to, oh, that's a good thing. Well, at least the, the ends justify the means. Well, he had the right motive in his heart way down deep somewhere. God does not justify any of that stuff. Uh, Samuel says it's better, better to obey God than to do these sacrifices to God it's kind of like Cain, right? I'm going to offer something to God, but it's going to be what I choose. Same attitude, same kind of attitude. And so what, what we need to draw from this is the heart of David uh, is different than the heart of Saul. So let's go look at 1 Samuel 16. This is another a chapter later uh, after the rejection of Saul. And of course, Paul, uh, Samuel is scared to go anoint somebody else's king because he realizes Saul might kill me. (laughs) And so God sets it up so he can go, and uh, we pick it up in 1 Samuel 16, 6. When they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Now, I've heard people say that uh, things like, well, you know, you, you can't judge me or, or, you know, they'll use this scripture. Well, God looks at my heart. And, and they're actually using that inappropriately. If man can see, all right, that you are in disobedience to God, there, there's no, God doesn't care about, well, but your heart is right. That that's not what this is saying. This is saying that there comes a point where it appears man is the, everything looks good. It looks good on the outside, right? Men can only judge what they see. If they can clearly see there's not fruit here, if they can clearly see you're in obedience, clear violation to the word of God right here, they don't need to go further and examine, well, let's go look and see if maybe their heart's really right. No, they can see you're in clear disobedience to God. Enough said. However, God goes a step further. Let's say it looks like you are obeying God. It looks like you are in God's camp. It To men, all we can see is the outside. God goes further and examines the heart. He examines the motivation. Oh, you did the right thing, but it was for the wrong reason. Oh, you did the right thing, but you actually don't have a heart toward God. This isn't, uh, this is uh, operating out of a heart of, say, like pride or something like that, as opposed to uh, humility, right? You're, you're quote unquote, serving somebody else. You're doing something in the kingdom of God, but it's not, a heart of service and love for the body, it's because you want to be seen or because you think this will get you something for your, your, yourself personally. God sees those motivations, but human beings can't see that. We can just see that, oh, this guy's, wow, he's a great preacher. He's a man of God. And God's looking at him going, no, he's only doing that for the money, right? We can't, I, you you and I can't necessarily tell that, Right? Uh, There are certainly clues at times, but we can't really always tell. And so here you have the prophet of God, the prophet of God, Samuel, right? He's like, Having toast with, with God for breakfast, and he gets it wrong. He looks at the the oldest brother and says, Man, this guy's tall, he's big, look at his huge muscles, look at this guy, he's got to be the one. And God says, Nope, I've rejected him. You can see the outside, and everything on the outside looks okay, but I see the inside and I realize that it is not. And I think we need to be careful when we use scriptures like this to mean the opposite of what they actually mean. This is letting us see that God does not look. You can see, and it looks, it passes the sniff test for humanity, but it does not pass God. And so he crowns David. Uh, or he crowns, he, he anoints David king. And do we see David drop everything and, and start going and like you're know, bossing people around at that moment? No, he goes back to work tending the sheep. How do I know that? Well. We, we picked it up, remember, in First Samuel 17. What did it tell us? It told us that David was not there at the battle, that he went back and forth. What did he do? He was caring for the sheep at home, and at times he would go back to where the battle was and care for his brothers. He was a servant. He was serving his father by tending to the sheep. He was serving his father and brothers by going and meeting their needs. A, an attitude of, of servitude, a servant's heart, is what God is looking for. Now, there are other things we can say about David that, uh, you know, a man after his own, God's own heart. Is, is that only one quality? I don't think you can make the case that it's just one specific quality. But certainly, one of the big ones that we see here in the scripture is that David had an obedient, serving heart. Obedient to God, willing to serve others. Serve and minister to God, yes, but also serve and minister in the service of others. And so, let's look at a few things, this principle in the in the kingdom of God. Mark 10, 41-45. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, the you know James and John, their mom came, and it was like, hey, can my son sit on your left and right? And you know... The, the the apostles, uh, the disciples, right there walking around, you know, d- discussing who's going to be the greatest and all this stuff. That stuff is uh, man made stuff. That's not what God looks at. That's not what God looks at. Um, and I, I'm just going to tell you that they must have been furious, <laughs> James and John, like trying to pull this thing. But but they were all sort of like that. They were furious because, um. Uh, you know, they probably wanted to be the ones that that were on the left and right, (laughs) right? And here's the thing. We need to realize that God doesn't do things the way men do things, the way mankind does things. And that's exactly what Jesus said. The Gentiles, the unbelievers they are the ones that do it this way. They are the ones who lord it over them. They are the ones who have this mentality of, I'm the top dog, you do what the top dog says. You obey me. Now, I've heard people, I've heard ministers, I've heard people at conferences, I have heard false doctrine coming from uh, pulpits around uh, around the bin Um where people will use Matthew chapter eight, where Jesus talks about the faith of the centurion, and uh the centurion says, Look, I understand how authority works, and um I tell a servant, go and he does it. My 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 leader tells me do something, or I do it, that kind of thing. And I've heard see, Jesus didn't say anything about his gentile way of uh, obeying command, his gentile like uh leadership qualities. He spoke about the Gentiles' faith. The Gentile looked at his line of command in the army and said, I have great faith in the power of Jesus to just command this thing and go, this sickness, and my servant will be healed. But I've heard men twist this scripture to literally say, and this is how it is in the the kingdom of God, that there is a hierarchy where If the pastor or the leader, the apostle, the prophet, whoever the top dog is in whatever organization you happen to be in, people name themselves different things. But whoever that person is, if they say it, you do it. If they give a command, you are to carry it out. Just like, look at this great faith of the centurion. When Jesus literally said, it's not supposed to be that way. It's not supposed to be like the Gentiles do leadership and, right, submitting to one another, right? Because the top dog doesn't really submit to anybody. Who do they submit to? Nobody. They just bark the commands. Now that is not the way the scriptures teach it. The scriptures teach servant leadership. Now that doesn't mean, um, you're, you know, mud on somebody's shoe leadership, right? It means you're a servant, uh, a servant of God primarily, and we serve where he says to serve. Now, there are times that people try to take advantage of people and it, it, there's nothing that says, oh, you just have to be a rug for everybody to walk on. But we are but we are supposed to be humble and have the heart of a servant if we want to be, uh, quote unquote, great in the kingdom of God. John 13, 12 and, uh, through 17 really hits this principle too. So we'll go there very popular portion of scripture. Um, so John 13, 12 says, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right for so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you, ought, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor his messenger, nor is a messenger, greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Right? Not just knowing them, but doing them. Having the heart of a servant. Washing one another's feet. Now, this was a normal thing in that day. It was normal to serve one another by uh, offering water, and, you know, they walked around on dusty roads. Okay? It's not... Necessarily saying that we should, in order to show our humility, that we should at special times or, or whatever, we should, we must wash somebody's feet. Okay. We have shoes and socks and showers and, <laughs> right, and we don't walk the dusty streets. We drive in cars and wear tennis shoes that come off of our feet. Um, however, there have been times in my life where I have, uh, uh, we were in a, in a meeting one time out in Utah. Went out and did some did some meetings and we're meeting with the uh, the uh, a pastor there and his son in law and we it was just like five or six of us just down in his like basement just talking and ministering and stuff and one of the guys felt to just hey let's all just pray together and wash one another's feet and we did it right it was a beautiful wonderful powerful thing I have been in other settings where we did that exact same thing just hey bring out a basin or whatever we'll grab some bottles of water or whatnot and wash each other's feet and pray over one another again. I'm not saying there's anything at all wrong with it. I'm saying it's not just some kind of act of, oh, isn't this cool?" And then we go on our daily lives and, and we're unchanged. We're supposed to have an attitude of humility on the regular. When they saw him washing feet, this was not something that they do in a special prayer meeting, you know every three years or an, an annual event where we we do you know, uh, foot washing. Uh, Again, there are places that do that, and I'm not against it. What I am saying is, let's not do, you know, semi-annual foot washing or annual foot washing or once in a blue moon in a powerful prayer meeting we do foot washing, and then not on a regular basis be humble and serve our brothers and sisters in Christ, right? I know ministers that they will get up and preach to hundreds of people, but they cannot be relied upon to like go and pick somebody up for service because they're, they're, I mean, they're too busy. They're too important for that. I don't care how much you wash somebody's feet. If you're not willing, right, to do something like that, something you think is beneath you or below you, then you're just disobeying what God said. And your place in the kingdom of God is not going to be one where God exalts you and lifts you up. Luke 17, men can, but God won't. Luke 17, seven through 10. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at my table. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward uh, we'll eat and drink. Afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what it was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded say we are unworthy servants, we have only done what was our duty. Now he's talking, right, this is not to one another. This is who is our Lord and Master. We are servants of who? Of God. This is getting to that point where we should not serve in order to achieve something, we're not supposed to like look at it like a video game where we serve X amount and then we get to level one and then level two. And then if you can max out at level 99, then you go into like the you know the next the platinum ranking system and then you're level one there and then you can max that out. That that's not it. And you get attributes and all kinds of cool stuff. And now I can prophesy. Now I can grab a microphone and preach a little bit. Now I can collect tithes. Man, now I can now I can uh, travel internationally and people will buy my book and all that, <laughs> right? That is not the thing. Right, we serve God, and if He doesn't want to say thank you, He doesn't have to say thank you. Now, the beautiful thing is, right? He He said, "Which one of you, right, human masters, to human servants?" But of course, we know that God is a is the best, right? The blessed Master, uh, the blessed Lord, and He, He does lavish upon us love and benefits and things like that. But the attitude, we should not have an attitude. I, I'm going to serve, but I better be getting something out of it. I better be moving up the food chain or whatever it is. That should not be our attitude. Now, let's go look at some of the instructions, some of the things we see in the New Testament when it comes to this heart developing a heart of service. Galatians 5, 13 and 14 says, For you were called to freedom. Galatians 5, 13 and 14. You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Which goes back to what Jesus said, say, in the book of Mark. Was that Mark 12? Right? Love your neighbor as yourself, which goes back to Leviticus. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is a timeless principle that God has given to mankind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we, you know, we have freedom in the church. We're free, yeah, free to lovingly and freely choose to be a servant, <laughs> right? That's, that's what Paul said, right? People get this attitude of like freedom in Christ, meaning don't tell me what to do or, you know, it's all about me now or uh, whatever. But that, it, it just doesn't fit. You can't, you cannot um, square that round hole in 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 the New Testament, it just it's not possible. If you actually take the New Testament and actually read it and put it together thoroughly, it's impossible to come away with this attitude of like, well, we're free in Christ and we just do whatever. First um, Corinthians three five and not five through nine. What then is Apollos? What's Paul's servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each? I planted, Apollos watered. Uh, God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. But only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building, right? And what is this? This is the the servant, the servant, servitude of Paul and Apollos. This is the attitude that we should have toward our ministers, and it's the attitude that ministers should have. We are here to serve. We are here to be a blessing, to do what God wants us to do. Now, does that mean uh ministers don't uh correct ministers don't rebuke at times that ministers uh are just you know just just there to be a, a doormat for you to just stomp, stomp, stamp on stamp on stamp on, stomp on walk on <laughs> um no, but the attitude of someone who is called of God is that we are to serve at the uh pleasure of the master, the pleasure of the father, of the Lord Jesus Christ. We serve at their pleasure. Here's what you are to do. Here is your task. Here is your assignment. We don't do that because we were looking for, hey, show me the money, bro. What's up? No. Yes, Lord. It is an honor to serve you. That really should be our our attitude. David was out in the field serving and doing his part, never thinking this is going to get me uh into the kingship someday someday. Never cross never crossed his mind, right? He wasn't thinking, well, I'm moving my way, I'm working my way up the ladder here. No. One day he gets called out of the field. He wasn't even invited. <laughs> he was still out in the field, the rest of the brothers came. That's what they thought of him. And God said that's the one. And and was he whining and complaining about it? Was he over there pouting and, you know, devising his plans of takeover and world conquest? No. He was doing what was needed to be done with the heart and attitude of a servant and went out there tending the sheep and just was able to have communion and fellowship with the Lord. And that's who the Lord said I can use. Romans 12, 4 through 8, for as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many are in one body in Christ, individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy. Um, in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who acts of mercy, who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So this is uh, the the ministry of the body, and every single one of these are serving other people. None of these are self-serving. That You find the same thing in 1 Corinthians 12 with the um, the gifts of the spirit, what we call the gifts of the spirit. What are they? What are they for? They're there for the ministering of the body. That's what the scripture actually tells us right there in that chapter, that it's to profit the the body, right? The fivefold ministry in Ephesians four, what are they for? They're there to serve the body and build the body up to be strong and, and minister within itself, right? That, that is the heart of the, of the church. All right, let's go to Philippians 2. Uh, a lot of people, you know, again, there's a lot of deep th- theological discussion in this. I think sometimes with our lofty theological discussions, we forget the point that Paul was actually making, <laughs> right? So let's go look at it. Philippians 2, 3 through 11, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, right? Selfish, you're doing it for some reason, you're doing it for yourself to be seen, uh, out of guilt, well, I guess I have to serve. Um, you're doing it because you're wanting to be promoted. You're wanting the uh, the leaders to get an eye on you. And oh, this guy, you know, he's a workhorse man. We can really use him and, and promote him and build him up. Uh, no, you're doing it not from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest but also the interest of others. That doesn't mean be all up in everybody's business. That means look for ways to serve and help one another. Verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. Therefore, therefore, right? Because of his service, because of his obedience and servant's attitude, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we see the obedience even unto the cross, and what what comes of that? God can use that and exalt that, that kind of attitude. We get back to David. He looks at David, a man after his heart, right? After God's own heart, who is serving, who is obedient to do the things that need to be done. God can command and he will obey, right? He was exalted to the, to the kingship. Jesus is exalted to, right? The name above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess. If we go to First Peter 5, 5 through 7, we see the same principle. Likewise, you you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, again, I promise you, you're going to have some anxieties if you're in a place of leadership where you are serving the body of Christ. I promise you that. There will be times of anxiety, times where you are feeling a little depressed, times where you are just like, God, what's going on here? <laughs> Especially if you're doing it in a, again, in a leadership type of position where it's on, in, on a consistent basis because there are always be those, pe- those people that are encouragers and they're thankful and they're, you know, again, even if it comes to correction, they will receive the correction and they will... Move on and 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 get better and grow and right and flourish and you just wow what an amazing story what an amazing person but there are always those who are not they are going to complain they're going to you know badmouth you blast you uh, doesn't matter how much you do for them through you know with them it does not matter they're going to be unthankful they are going to be discouragers okay and so yes you're going to have anxieties and so cast them on the Lord okay cast them on the Lord. But we want that scripture, cast your anxieties on him. But do we want the ones that come before that lead to that? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. That's what we need. That's where it's at. And you can see the humility comes first. The promotion comes next. Okay. Luke 19, 15 through 19. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina or mina, has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. And of course, we know what happened to the last one, who didn't give any increase, who didn't really serve, who didn't really go out there and hit it. They just kind of buried that thing in a napkin. And of course, the Lord said, well, you're a horrible and wicked and terrible servant. Uh, Cast him into outer darkness. But here we see in the kingdom of God, Jesus expects a return on investment. Jesus expects people to go out there and serve. And when we serve well in a specific thing, maybe it's, we look at it as a small thing. But when we serve well there, that's when we can do more. A lot of people have this thing where it's like, I'm doing a terrible job over here on this thing, or I'm doing a haphazard so-so job on this over here. I'm not really taking this that seriously, but it's because it's just a small thing. But then they, but if I could get a big thing, I would really take it seriously. Well, that's just not biblical. (laughs) that's not how Jesus looked at things. Uh, It's not how church leaders should look at things. We should be people who are looking for an attitude of servitude where people do things well, then we give more responsibility, more authority. uh, Then they do that well, then you get more responsibility, more. That's how it should work. That's how it works on the job if it works well, right? Because if you give a bunch of authority and power to somebody that has not earned it, they haven't, you know, it's going to be a disaster, Okay, it's a disaster. It will be a disaster. <laughs> so, you know, your big chance is this little thing. All right, oh, give me a chance. Yeah, okay, here, here's this little thing. And let's see how you do. Two reasons for that. One, uh, to evaluate, to give you training and experience. All right, and two, to make sure there's that heart of humility and service and not, oh, I'm willing to do something as long as it's highly visible, as long as I can get to the accolades, as long as I, people can see me doing it. That is the wrong attitude. So even if somebody can do something really well, they can get up and just, you know, preach amazing. They can be on the leadership team. They can just take it to the next level, blah, blah, blah. But they're doing it from a heart that God does not want. God despises, right? Pride and these kinds of things. It's just going to be a disaster. So we need to realize it's the servants that get promoted. It's the attitude of servitude that God is looking for. God wants a heart of a servant in his kingdom. And we'll see that's the heart of someone that can take down a giant in front of thousands upon thousands, right? And be just thrust into glory because God can trust that person with that kind of responsibility and even the benefit and accolades that come after it. He can trust them. He could not trust Saul, all right? And he's, he ripped it from Saul because here you go. And uh, if you look at the scriptures, it does seem to indicate there that Saul, God chose Saul, but he he wasn't thrown off. He, didn't, he wasn't like, oh, I don't know what. I, just, I didn't realize Saul was going to be this way. Oh my goodness, what do I do? The people actually had sort of a judgment on them because they wanted a king over them like the pagan nations. God gave them Saul and it taught them, I think, a very valuable lesson. And then he gave them David, which was uh, a a much better king right but even he had some of his problems he was a, he was a human being so he had his issues but here we see that god is looking for that that attitude of servitude that that heart that attitude of service where we are willing to do the low man on the totem pole job we are willing to uh, do things that hey, maybe there's not a whole bunch of fanfare and accolades, but we are willing to say yes My Lord and Savior this needs to be done You are calling me to do this and I am going to do it to the best of my ability and to the fullest that I can That is the kind of attitude that God can use that is the kind of attitude where David can now be brought from the sheepfold to go minister to his brothers who are there in battle And now he can go be the one to take on the giant. The servants are the ones who get promoted. I hope this has been helpful to you. Uh, Digest it. Go over the scriptures again. Read through it. And let's develop that, that humble attitude of a servant so that we can be most effective in the kingdom of God. I love you. God bless you. And we will catch you on the next podcast.